Alrighty, hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast, the 25th of May, 2023. Happy Thursday. Happy day after Ron DeSantis announced and Donald Trump had a meltdown on True Social Day. I'm only kidding. No, I'm not. Uh, yeah, there's a lot going on. First, let me tell you about the uh, Curse Show, patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. There's bonus content. There's kid content. There's all sorts of stuff I throw up there. And I throw up there when I'm there sometimes. Check it out. Five bucks a month to support the program is all we ask. That's not too much, is it? Plus, you win uh, autographed books all the time. This week, it's a battle between Brian Kilmeade and Luke Rosiak. So somebody's going to win an autographed book by one of those dudes. Why not you? Okay. Uh, The big news, of course, is right now, as I'm speaking to you, as I'm recording this, Ron DeSantis is having his Twitter spaces thingamabobby with Elon Musk, announcing that he is running for president. And you got to love these people who are out there. Everybody has their own little thing. That The ladies, I'm sorry, real women, but the people on The View who probably don't use urinals, I can't vouch for that, but, uh, well, you know, I'd like to retract that previous statement because if I had to bet... Two-thirds, two-fifths, two-fifths to three-fifths of those ladies, at least, I would suspect of. Never mind. Anyway, the uh, the ladies on The View are like, oh, it's so mean. Why does he do it on social media? The left-wing reporters and bloggers and everything for The Atlantic are going, oh, of course he's going to do it on Twitter because Elon Musk has turned it into a cesspool of hatred and bigotry. Vanity Fair, their headline report, colon, Ron DeSantis will formally announce his 2024 bid with Elon Musk because apparently David Duke wasn't available. You see, because everybody who isn't a rabid left winger who nonstop judges people by their color of their skin is a racist somehow. I don't know how you square that circle, but hey, you know, what are you going to (laughs) do? God, people are so stupid. That's so stu- That's Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair really wrote that piece. They did. They decided that that was going to be a headline there. And you're like, uh, that doesn't compute. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't matter if it doesn't make any sense. They hate Ron DeSantis. They hate Donald Trump. They hate whatever. Everybody kind of thought Donald Trump broke these people. No, Donald Trump was the last straw, was the straw that broke the camel's back. There were thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of other straws already on that poor, sweet, sweet, nourishing camel's back. It was just Trump was the one who broke it. The little Bill Crystals of the world running around, dining out on his daddy's name and his daddy's business. He just just was broken by all of it. Donald Trump was the last one. Donald Trump was the convenient foil at the time but you got to move on. Look, once you monetize outrage, you need to keep manufacturing outrage. If Donald Trump didn't exist anymore, the left would have to invent him. And if Donald Trump didn't win or doesn't win the Republican nomination, the left is positioning themselves and the grifter right is positioning themselves to be ready 
to Trumpize anybody and everybody who is out there. Because they're the problem. They're the problem. It's uh, He's worse than Donald Trump. He's So we should vote for Donald Trump. No, 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 no. Donald Trump is worse than Donald Trump, too. Oh, okay, so then we should entertain a uh, I don't know, Tim Scott uh, candidate. No, no, no. He's worse than, worse than, worse than Donald Trump. Because he's also worse than Clarence Thomas. One of the funniest things I've seen, perhaps in my entire life, is that old bag, Joy Behar. She's just joyless. It's not an empty bag. She's full of feces, the kind of bag that, you know, you, you sit on somebody's porch and sit light on fire and knock on the door and run away. That's what Joy Behar is made out of. When she's trying to explain how Tim Scott and Clarence Thomas don't get what black people have gone through in this country, she does. She's Ms. Black People, somehow. <laughs> Just um, And Whoopi's sitting there. I have to assume Whoopi is choking down vomit. And Sonny Houston is actually, well, if she were smarter, she'd be dangerous. But she she's like sitting there going, wait, Joy, are you stealing my bag? Are you stealing my job? Are you stealing my position? This is my shtick. Don't do my shtick. Do your shtick. But it's that's the world we live in nowadays. It's the world we've created. It's unbelievable to sit there and watch these people. These leftists insist that they know what's best for other people, who they have no relationship to. They have no relationship with. There's nothing. They bring nothing to the table of their own. They bring nothing to the table from an intellectual point of view, from a curiosity perspective they bring no solutions they don't debate any longer you watch these people arguing talking about the debt ceiling oh the republicans are holding everybody hostage it's they're holding the country hostage can you believe that these evil evil republicans are holding the country hostage why would they do such a thing do they not love this country what's the matter with them and then somebody points out something pretty basic. Repu- well, first of all, Republicans have already passed a debt ceiling increase. It's done. The Senate is on vacation. The Senate is not in session. You watch all of these little makeshift press conferences in the hallway of the United States Capitol. One thing you'll notice is it's all people from the House. It's Kevin McCarthy standing in the hallway surrounded by reporters. Where's the... Where's Chuck Schumer? Where, where where is Chuck Schumer? Where's any of Where's Senator uh, Fetterman? Where is he? Where's Senator Feinstein? They want to get rid of Feinstein, but where is she? Is she back in California already? Where are any of the Democratic leaders? Where's uh, Dick Durbin, the most appropriately named man in the United States Senate? Dick Durbin, where is he? He's the majority whip. Should he not be out there trying to negotiate some kind of deal? It seems to me to be odd. Chuck Schumer should have the Senate at the ready. Oh, that'd be really annoying, especially when it's coming up time to have a little three-day weekend, you know? You can tell how deadly serious this issue is by the way that nobody is altering their plans, at least as of now, for a three-day weekend. Not one single person is interested in altering their plans we're a three-day weekend because why because 
it's so important. My God, the entire democracy is uh, under threat by those evil Republicans. Oh, so what are you doing this weekend, Joe? Joe Biden's going to Camp David tomorrow. And then Joe Biden is going to Delaware because, you know, you don't want to miss Memorial Day weekend at Rehoboth Beach. It's lovely. If you're into world-class hair sniffing, it's going to be very crowded at the ice cream stand. Joe is going to be able to shove his schnoz into a lot of craniums over the weekend. But it's so damned important, I thought. I thought it was so important that we were going to default course the only way we default is if joe biden and janet yellen actively decide to default even if just just as an aside before i get to the audio even if the united states does not raise the debt limit there is still more than enough money coming into the federal government record amount of money by the way our money coming into the federal government already that they would be able to easily pay the service on the debt the debt payments the debt that would be basic and easy to do for a very very long time we're dealing with gargantuan sums of money they would maybe have to i don't know lay some people off postpone delay some people's pay or what have you or maybe look at the department of insignificance and their bloated budget and say hey maybe we don't need a department of insignificance while they did this Real people would not be uh, impacted by this. Social Security checks would go out. Medicaid would be paid. All the Secretary of the Treasury has to do is prioritize it. Make sure it happens. She doesn't write the checks directly, but she directs where the money goes. If she decides that the fifth redundancy in the food stamp department who services nobody who isn't serviced already by other people. They they need to have a, their pay before the nation's creditors get paid. Well, then the United States would default. It'd only be a temporary default anyway. I mean, what are we talking about here? It's absurd to think that this would be some sort of national calamity that would cause the entire system to collapse. But that's what the left needs you to think is going to happen or even could happen it's not going to and it can't but that's beside the point everybody we're no longer going to borrow money loan money to the united states of america we're not going to buy your debt anymore okay you just shot yourself in the foot after putting your foot in your mouth congratulations but anyway that's beside the point i'm sure well, sadly, no, no economists are going to make that point either because there's no cable bookings. There's no money in being level-headed and being realistic. That's why I say we're going to default eventually. It might as well be now. Take that attitude, and then maybe you can exact some some spending reforms from Democrats. But Joe Biden is literally back to Joe Biden's travel plans this weekend. He is. He's going to party, man. He's going to live the dream. Why? Because... There's a massive threat to our democracy out there just sitting there or something, right? The whole Western civilization could collapse, and Joe is going hair-sniffing and ice cream-eating in Rehoboth. So Corinne Jean-Pierre, who is historic, if I mention that she's historic, she's wildly, wildly historic. It's, you know, historically bad job, but that's beside the point. She's historic. Just, just ask a Democrat about her. 
She was asked about Joe Biden not changing his vacation plans. As one might expect, why, if this is so damned important, because she gets up there like her head's on fire, and, you know, fire needs oxygen to burn. It cannot burn in a vacuum without fuel. So her head is perfectly safe. It is not flammable. Um, She's asked about this and his travel plans, and he, she refuses to talk about it. And at the end here, you'll hear another, quote, reporter jump in. You can see why this has taken so long. This has been going on for months and months and months. And now reporters are finally starting to cover it in a way that the White House doesn't like. They were absolutely doing their best good dog impression up until this point. But they are, um, some of them are, starting to cover it in a way that is not helpful to the Democrats, like pointing out if this is so damned important, why is he going off on a family vacation this weekend? You know, that kind of stuff. And you hear another reporter jumping at the end and say, no, he came back from Japan. He's altered his plans before. Okay, I don't know if maybe she's trying to get Corinne Jean-Pierre's job after she's unceremoniously fired, but Corinne Jean-Pierre is so wildly historic, she cannot be fired. I mean, for God's sakes, her job performance is an embarrassment to our species, to human beings, let alone the administration. And she's still out there. They still send her out there on days when it's not all that important. On days that it's important, they bring in John Kirby or somebody else to pinch hit because they know she can't read from the briefing book. But she's out there. Nobody's getting her job. I just wanted you to to point out that what these reporters do. You'll hear that at the end of this exchange. Um, so on the debt ceiling, uh, you, know, you used words like catastrophic and, and devastating today. But the president, again, is going to Camp David this weekend and then going to Delaware. Um, if the situation is so dire, then why, why is the president? Well, I already Delaware? answered that question. So you have another one? I literally just answered that question. He came I'm back happy. from Japan. I, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. No. Any other questions? No, that's okay, great. Keep going. Go ahead, sir. He came back from Japan. He came back from Japan. <laughs> I'm sorry. Are you trying to get an invite to Camp David? Did you get a new fresh scent of Prell or something? Pert Plus come out with a new scent and you want to get close enough to Joe to smell it? Or do you just want to sniff the throne or kiss his rear end? It's unbelievable that these are reporters. They never have a follow-up question when it's a question that is, you know, something that might make Joe Biden look bad. Nobody asks about Hunter Biden's laptop. James Comer and Republicans laid out a pretty solid case, not airtight because it hasn't been uh, cross-examined yet, but they put out a pretty compelling case about how the Biden family has made at least $10 million from overseas entities and companies and what have you. With no discernible skills, they have 20 different companies set up, and yet none of them actually do anything. Seems a little weird to me, but, you know, I would would have some questions about that. Not a single member of the White House press corps, except on occasion, the person from Fox. On occasion. Not often, but on occasion. They have some questions about that sort of stuff. And you sit there and you go, ah, whatever. Whatever. Joe Biden doesn't get within sniffing distance of a reporter who could shout questions at him because they're scared to death that he might try to answer them. 
And everybody in that room is fine with it. They went to the White House Correspondents Association dinner and laughed about it. <laughs> look at the way he mocks us. Whoa, look at the way he makes fun of us. Isn't that great? Thank you, sir. May I have another? And hey, that worked out for Kevin Bacon. Yeah, that's Kevin Bacon. Go look it up. But uh, it might work out for them just as well. Meanwhile, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, left-wing provocateur, a bit of a race baiter, too. He's always ready. He's the guy who, when McCarthy was elected speaker, decided to give a 45-minute speech about how awful Republicans are before simply doing his ceremonial duty and handing him the gavel. That's the kind of classy piece of trash that Hakeem Jeffries is. His uncle is a college, was a college professor, had this wild theory about sun, black people being sun people, being people of goodness and God, and the white people were, um, I forget what the hell we were, moon people or something. We were not good, whatever the, the ultimately we were not good people. And he, of course, he was fine. It's fine. No big deal. He wrote an op-ed defending his uncle, which you would expect. And I wouldn't call him a racist for defending his uncle. He knows his uncle better than anybody else uh, outside the family knows his uncle. Some stranger reads about his weird racist theory. Maybe there's a nuance to it. We're getting out of context. But in that same op-ed, back when Hakeem Jeffries was in college, Hakeem Jeffries not only defended his uncle, he defended Louis Farrakhan. There's not a not a whole lot of ambiguity in Louis Farrakhan condemning Jews. It's just not. It's not vague. Like, well, you you misinterpreted when he said that Jews are the devil and they need to be destroyed. He was speaking. Yeah, no, he was speaking literally. They the left just doesn't care. The left the left keeps Louis Farrakhan around to justify their embrace of Al Sharpton. Al Sharpton, they talked to and said, look, you're going to be fabulously wealthy. You're going to be knee-deep in chicks. You're going to have to leave your wife. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm down with that, as any good man of God would. I'd absolutely dump my wife. But you got to lay off the Jew thing. Like, what? I, I made a lot of money off Jews. Well, NBC News is going to pay you a lot of money if you lay off the Jew things. It's going to be more money than you're making otherwise. Like, oh, all right. You'll be knee-deep in tracksuits and uh, whatever the hell you put in your hair to make it look that way. And he gave it all up. He gave up all the bad food, too. He lost the weight. He got the girlfriends. And he's now an incredibly wealthy, well-respected race baiter over at MSNBC. Uh, the same did not happen for Hakeem Jeffries' uncle. Not yet, anyway. If it becomes useful for the left to do that for uh, Professor Jeffries, you better believe they'll do it. Anyway, Hakeem Jeffries was at a press conference with the, uh, it looks like the worst version of the X-Men movie ever. There's Hakeem Jeffries there. There's this other guy over on the left hand. He's the Hispanic member of leadership. And then there's the ghost white lady with the white hair who looks like, uh, I don't know. She looks like somebody just made a bodily function noise close to her. And she's afraid she's going to get blamed for it. That's the look on her face. In this clip, you can see it. It's in my Twitter feed. Well, Hakeem Jeffries was asked because if you're not playing the home game, just so you know, the debt ceiling was something the last Congress could have done. It was, it was farted around about. It was talked about. But it wasn't. nothing was done about it. And if you remember correctly, 
The last Congress was controlled by Democrats. Yeah, completely. House and Senate. Now, it was 50-50 in the Senate, but with the vice president breaking a tie. And quite frankly, it's pretty easy to find a bunch of squishy Republicans to go, all right, we'll break the filibuster. We'll let you do it. You got, you know, Alaska, Maine, in the middle of the, all over the place, there's squishy Republican senators who will go, Marcus the Queensbury rules. We shall uh, absolutely allow this to happen because it would just be wrong to do it otherwise. Spare me. Spare me the crap, Lindsey Graham. So they would not have had any problems likely raising the debt ceiling. They just chose not to. Now, why would they choose not to do that? That seems a little bit weird, especially if our very democracy is at threat. Now, you got to understand, the election happened in November. It was pretty clear that Democrats are going to lose control of the House, that they would be turning over the keys to the House to a bunch of monsters, MAGA monsters, ready to destroy this country. Well, one of the ways that, quote-unquote, you destroy this country was staring them right in the face with the debt ceiling vote. They knew they were going to hit it. Joe Biden and them were spending so fast that there was no way they were not going to hit it. They could have raised it. They chose not to. Why wouldn't they? When knowing that Republicans who want to take hostages and try to destroy this democracy would be coming in. It's almost like Democrats were lying. They're not serious now. They're lying now. They're not serious. Well, I want you to listen to Hakeem Jeffries. He finds a way to blame Republicans, and it's Republicans in the Senate. That's why they didn't do it, because the Republicans in the Senate would have never gone along with it. That's not exactly the spirit that made this country great. Why didn't you try? Uh, because if we had tried, we probably wouldn't have succeeded. Oh, all right. Thank you. That explains why Lewis and Clark made it to just the outskirts of West Virginia and said, screw this. Let's turn around. Yeah. All right. Let's go. <laughs> that's why Magellan lived a long life and did not die and eh, never mind too obscure of a joke listen to Hakeem Jeffries do you have regrets do you have regrets that your party did not raise the debt ceiling when it was in the majority um, it's not um, my understanding that the challenge was not addressing the debt ceiling because Democrats refused to do it uh, but it's my understanding that Republicans in the Senate were unwilling to discuss this issue last December, perhaps because they wanted to set up a hostage-taking situation. Yeah, uh, Republicans in the Senate didn't want to do this because maybe they wanted to be a, a hostage situation. That's Maybe that's why. Maybe that's what... No. No, you, you could have gotten that through. And even if you couldn't have gotten that through, even if somehow the Republicans locked arms and in a shocking game of Red Rover stopped everybody that you sent over. That would have given Democrats an incredible talking point, would it not have? Would it not have? I mean, that damn, you're sitting there and you're going, hey, we passed a debt ceiling limit increase and Republicans blocked it. See, they aren't serious. See, they wanted to set up this situation where they could take hostages. Instead, Democrats did nothing when they could have done everything. And now they're saying Republicans want to take hostages. It doesn't make any rational sense, does it? No, it doesn't. 
but it doesn't have to because there's not going to be a follow-up question. He was surprised by, Hakeem Jeffries was surprised by that question because it really cut to the quick. It cut, <laughs> wait a second, who are you? They'll probably be invited to leave from the next briefing from these Democrats. Or they will apologize profusely. They'll be put on unpaid leave or what have you, whatever their union allows to punish people who have exposed Democrats as being the frauds that they are. It's a, it's a hell of a racket they got going on up there on Capitol Hill. But it's telling because that's a pretty basic question. The same thing could be asked about everything, to be perfectly honest with you. Hey, Democrats, Barack Obama's first two years, for a good nine months of it, because there was a situation, Ted Kennedy died, and um, Al Franken was not in the Senate yet. That race went on for a while there, lawsuits and what have you, before he was able to steal that election. Um, But there was that nine months when Ted Kennedy was still alive and Al Franken was in the Senate, that they could have done anything they wanted. And they chose to do nothing. They chose to focus on health care. They chose to focus on Obamacare. And they wasted that nine months negotiating with themselves, with each other. And then before final passage came along, Ted Kennedy died. And it was all kind of for naught, remember? And they had to kind of ram through a ramshackle version of it on reconciliation because Scott Brown, even the people of Massachusetts, decided to elect a Republican. Obamacare was so unpopular. Of course, Republicans stopped those attacks on that and walked away from repeal because they're worthless and can't message on anything. But it is... Um, One of those things, the universal truth, Democrats had 60 votes in the Senate and a majority in the House. They could have done anything. They sat around and they talked about the sweet, sweet, nourishing dreamers, and they did nothing for them. They talked about immigration reform. We need immigration reform. They went out and pandered like you wouldn't believe to Hispanic groups about how important immigration reform was. And they got the votes in 2008. And then they did nothing about it. Because, I mean, it's important, sure, but, I mean, it's not that important. Look, if you address a problem, how do you run on addressing that problem? How do you run promising to address a problem you've already addressed? Right? How do you do that? You can't do that. It's not easy. It's impossible. Hey, we've got immigration reform. Yay. Now uh, vote for us and we'll give you immigration reform and mass amnesty. Wait, we just got all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's why part of why, as, a, as an aside, Obamacare was always designed to fail. It was always designed to fail. It was just designed to fail f- further on down the road so that it couldn't, its failures could not be blamed on Obamacare, right? The Democrats didn't really want to have to argue, look, big government and health care didn't work. What we need is bigger government. They want a full takeover of health policy. And this is somebody speaking as a former health policy analyst at the Heritage Foundation. The Democrats are very patient and they are willing to nibble away at an entire apple one little speck at a time. And sooner or later, the apple is going to be nothing but core. You're like, what the hell happens? Because that's how Democrats work. Republicans, the way I describe it, is Democrats, 
They want to steal your identity. They want to steal everything. They want to steal your title to your house. They want to steal the title to your car. They want to steal your bank accounts, your credit cards. They want to open new credit cards in your name. They want to con you out of everything. And Republicans are trying to steal your wallet. And if they don't, uh, they go, oh, well, we'll try somebody else's wallet. Democrats are into the long con. Republicans are into the, hey, we tried to stop the long con. We tried to roll back the long con, but oopsie, it didn't take. It's pathetic. Most of the time, it's absolutely pathetic. But Obamacare was designed to fail. It just can't not fail. Government taking over half of an industry is never going to succeed. It's never going to work. It's never going to work out well for anybody. It's going to eventually shove companies out of there. And you hear these leftists now already saying, Bernie Sanders, we've got 30, 30 to 40 million uninsured Americans in the country. Thirty. To, we got to do something. We need socialized health care is a right. We need uh, more, more, more. The health care is a right, et cetera, et cetera. And you go, wait a second. Wasn't the entire purpose of Obamacare expressly created? Wasn't it created to address the 30 to 40 million people who are uninsured? I know I've said this before and I'll say it again. There are a number of chronically insured people in this country, meaning people who have been without health insurance for more than two years, for whatever reason. Uh, They are mostly low income. Some of them are high income. Some of them make more than $50,000 a year. Some people, believe it or not, young people usually, are uninsured by choice. They think, why should I pay for this thing? I'm never going to need it. It's a bet that almost everybody that age is willing to make and almost everybody that age who makes that bet will win that bet. They will. But they're not in desperate need of government assistance or medical insurance. They're happy to go down to the clinic and pay whatever if they need to go at all. They mostly just tough it out. So when they say now that we have essentially the same number of uninsured as we did before the passage of Obamacare, and Obamacare was passed for the express purpose of addressing the uninsured, you kind of got to wonder, what the hell? Maybe they're not telling us the truth, don't you? But there's nobody in the media going to ask these questions or point this out or even be aware of them. So what's the point? I'm just whistling into a tornado right here. You know, we know. No reporter will ever ask anybody who can do anything about it. But when the system collapsed, because it would collapse, because why would people continue to provide something the government is willing to provide? Um, Then they'd come back and say, see, we've got to go in and we've got to take over health care completely. We need a public option, at least. That'll be the next step. Only thing is, Obamacare collapsed too damn quickly. It was such a horrible failure. That's neither here nor there. I didn't mean to go off on that tangent. But it is a scenario that is completely relevant. Democrats focused everything on that. They'd been fighting for 40 years to get to that point. And they were going to be damned if they were going to burn anything, any political capital on anything else like immigration reform, mass amnesty, all the things they care, they say they care about desperately. They could have easily codified Roe into law if they were so concerned and so committed to abortion back then. There was always the possibility that Roe would be overturned. Since Roe was decided there was that possibility, they could have easily done something about it. They never wanted to, but damn it, they they campaigned on it, did they not? 
They campaigned under the Republican war on women. They want to take away your right to choose. They want to, we will defend your right to choose. I mean, we won't do anything about it. We sure as hell won't legislate anything on it because if we pass a piece of legislation that codifies Roe into federal law, then how are we going to raise money for that stuff? <laughs> what are we going to do? That would be insane. We wouldn't be able to scare the hell out of middle-aged women and uh, a whole bunch of other women who'd had abortions and are riddled with guilt about it but want to normalize it so they don't feel as guilty about it and pretend that oh, this is perfectly fine and normal. So they say, who are they trying to convince with your signs that uh, this is just a clump of cells? Because I've seen the ultrasounds. I have kids. I know that it's not just a clump of cells. But if you're the one who needs to be told it's a clump of cells, then that sounds like a you problem. Anyway. Good Lord, I went off way on the tangent, but I'm not going to play back back to uh, back to the situation with the governor of Florida announcing today. If he says anything, and I mean he's announcing that he's running for president, he's filed the paperwork. If you get to a point where there is news in what he says. I'll cover it. I'll have the clips for you tomorrow. I just couldn't wait that long to record this. Um, It's interesting, though, just as an aside, that the batting order in which DeSantis is doing interviews is pretty telling. I don't know if this has to do with Tucker being fired. I wouldn't be surprised if it had to do with Tucker being fired. But Ron DeSantis is doing an interview with on Twitter. And then he's calling in to the Mark Levin show. He's going to radio. Then he's going to Fox with Trey Gowdy. There was a time when the entire the, the first the announcement would have been reserved for Fox, or it would have been a public event, a public speech where you knew and you could count on Fox carrying it live. Trump did that. Trump did his announcement sort of the traditional way. He gave a speech that he was running for president. It was an exceedingly long speech, and even Fox dumped out of it after a while because it wasn't... It wasn't I think it was that one. It, I, it's hard to keep track. His, his speeches all end up being about the same thing. Um, so it's tough to differentiate one from the other. But it it's interesting that... The esteem in which most people hold Fox on the right has dipped. I don't know if they're going to... I mean, they could recover. They absolutely could recover. They'd really have to do something absolutely spectacular. They'd have to have uh, something out of left field. Somebody who is... uh, Well, there's no known person out there, certainly nobody on Fox's payroll now who could do the job anywhere near as well as Tucker did. But there could be somebody out there not known. I'm thinking of like various podcasters. All the podcasters are terrible. They they wouldn't be good on TV, even though maybe they make a lot of money on YouTube or whatever. But they're just personality-wise, they're not as personable as Tucker. They're not as smart as Tucker. They're not as funny as Tucker. There just doesn't seem to be anybody out there. To, they should just go back and kiss up to Tucker and go, sorry, 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 sorry. Here you can have $20 million and your $20 million contract and come back. That's what they should do. But 
We don't know why he was fired in the first place, so they won't do that. That being said, it's telling that Fox gets the third bite at the apple. Now, Fox is doing what Fox has to do. Oh, for his, he's sitting down for his first television interview. His first television interview. It'll be his third interview, but his first television interview. That is, um, that's something. And it's something you would not have thought of a long time ago. Not that long ago, actually. But we live in a different world, a different time. A different time. Not the uh, old Cosby Show spinoff. Nobody's getting uh, dosed with lewds and felt up. Cosby. By Bill Cosby anymore. All right. So, yeah, like I say, if anything comes of these interviews or this announcement, I will talk about it tomorrow. But honestly, these things are pretty boring. Usually. They go according to script, and they're well-scripted, so we shall see. And I'm sure there'll be some big video launch with it along that. But hearing leftists go, hey, this is unconventional. I like the conventional. Joe Biden released a video, okay? Joe Biden released a video that they took probably 50, 60 different takes of because they couldn't string together a coherent sentence, even reading one written for him by somebody else. So spare me that crap. And the uh, Trump campaign is complaining that he's running to social media. For, like, are you kidding me? Your whole campaign was on social media last time. I'm telling you, if Donald Trump would just act confident, he would project confidence. He's projecting fear, which is not super reassuring. Just saying. From If I'm advising that campaign, and nobody can advise that campaign, my point would be, dude, ignore it. Ignore it. You watch him. Ignore it, and it'll drive him more nuts. Just what uh, DeSantis did when Trump started whining about him. He just ignored it. He didn't, couldn't care less. All right, so in other news, I just while we're on the DeSantis topic, this thing is... It's amazing how book bans quote-unquote bans are happening in in Florida. Oh, my goodness. Everywhere else, books are allocated by school districts and libraries according to whatever they've determined the age appropriateness of something to be. Yet in Florida, this is a ban. It is a book ban. It is Nazism. It is an outrage. And you're just sitting there going, how the hell does this happen? It's because journalists are stupid and political hacks. They're both things. And both things are necessary for uh, this to be true. The USA Today today had a piece by somebody called Kayla Jimenez. Ooh, Kayla Jimenez, there she is in her little byline photo. And boy, howdy, she looks proud of herself. She's probably a good J school grad somewhere. When I'm going to go into journalism to make a difference, which is the wrong reason to go into journalism. But her headline, Florida school bans elementary students from reading Amanda Gorman's The Hill We Poem Climb. They're banned. Banned. And then you read the actual story. Something that one would have to assume the writer of the headline did not, in fact, do. Because inside the story is this. School 
colon, book was moved, not banned. This is a section of the piece in USA Today. Officials at the school defended their actions and say they haven't banned the book. Quote, no literature, books, or poem has been banned or removed, end quote. The school said in a statement, quote, it was determined at the school that the hill we climb is better suited for middle school students, and it was shelved in the middle school section of the media center. The book remains available in the media center, end quote. <laughs> and then the next line is hilarious. Gorman says her poem is important reading for children. Oh, geez, the author says, my stuff sucks. Don't even bother wasting your time. Yeah, that's never going to be said. The uh, USA Today, the nation's hotel room doormat, is not alone in this. This was a common thing throughout all of the media. Because why? Because nobody actually does journalism. They all just read and rewrite whatever it is the first person who got the press release of the so-called leak, got the scoop. I love it how they say, I got a scoop. I was given a press release before anybody else was given a press release. Oh, that, that's not really a scoop, but okay. So then they just all rewrite their own version of it. The UK Daily Mail, the most trafficked website on the internet that does not, well, they do kind of surface porn. So I take that back. Uh, their headline, Miami Elementary School bans, and bans is all in caps, bans students from reading a poem Amanda Gorman recited at Biden's inauguration after parents complained it spread hate messages, but mistook poet for Oprah. Mm. Oh, okay. Except they didn't ban anything. Several books at Miami school were identified as more appropriate for... This is their own subheadline. This is right under their headline. Several books at Miami school were identified as more appropriate for a middle school audience than elementary students. Among those was a book by Amanda Gorman that included the poem she wrote and read at Joe Biden's inauguration. Oh, wait a second. It was just ban, 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 like you're going to jail and then to hell if you read this thing. We're going to throw you out of the school. It's contraband, man. You can... You'd have a better chance walking down the hallways of this school with a big fat joint hanging out of your mouth than a copy of Amanda Gorman's garbage poem. I love, I love all these. The day after the inauguration, when they're all like, "Oh my God, Amanda Gorman, she's so bright, she's so this, she's so that." The poem was amazing. All the ladies at the View were like orgasmic about her. Oh, I haven't felt those things since 1962. It was just amazing," said Joy Behar. I promise you, none of them have read the poem since. None of them really understood the poem at the time. None of them read poetry in any way, shape, or form. It's not 1910. Poetry is a dying art. Most people are illiterate, especially when it comes to poetry. But because she was young and a woman of color, therefore she must be genius. It must be a genius poem. I tell you, every once in a while I break out the crap that I wrote my first year in college, mostly in coffee houses, to be seen by chicks writing stuff, going, oh, he must be deep. He's sitting in a coffee house writing stuff. Yeah, no, no, not at all. It's garbage. Most of this stuff is, I can turn a good phrase every now and then. Don't get me wrong. I'm not bad. Uh, my, my hero in that turning a good phrase thing is Paul Westerberger, The Replacements. He does it much better than, than I do, but every once in a while, I do come up with a good one. 
and I can and have written them down. My kids one day will look at their nerdy father's notes and go, what the hell is this? Anybody, mom fell for this crap? No, mom, mom was long after that crap. Mom was too smart to fall for that crap. I had to up my game a bit. But that's beside the point. This ridiculousness that there are book bans. Only in Florida is a library doing what libraries do considered book banning. It's not the town in Footloose where you can't dance, but you just got to go over to the other side of the tracks over there and you can dance and you can read Amanda Gorman's garbage poem too. John Lithgow will just sit there and shake his fist at you. It's unbelievably lazy journalism and it can't be that lazy. It can't be that everybody gets it wrong. It can't be that all of these people are idiots. It can't be. Somebody in the food chain would recognize this. In order to be published on a major news site, having done it many times, I can tell you there are edits and edits and edits. And there are editors. And you get a note from the editor that you've been working with saying, my editor has a trailer, my boss has a question about this, that, or the other thing. And you got to justify these things. There are far too many people in this, at least there used to be, unless there's been a major change, and that has not been my experience. There are people who check that you've dotted the I's and crossed the T's, that the facts are correct, that the links go to things that say what you are claiming they say. There's none of that here. None of that. In any of this, it's embarrassing, again, for the species how do people, they wrote it in the freaking story. This is what your the headline is completely kneecapped by what's in the story. There, remember the, the Daily Mail headline again, Miami Elementary School bans students from reading poem. Uh, Amanda Gorman recited at Biden's inauguration, blah, blah, blah. My, this is the actual story itself, the lead. And a, a Miami elementary school has banned students from reading a poem famously read at Biden's inauguration, even though the parents who com, uh, complained mistook the young black author for Oprah Winfrey. Well, how is that relevant? How is that relevant? What does it matter? It doesn't. They just want to say, look, we're lefties. These people are idiots. You know, they're ill-cultured. They're stupid. They don't even know Oprah. Next time you hear some lefty talking about this thing, this piece of garbage poem, pull out whatever money you got in your pocket and challenge them. Say, hey, all right, I want I got uh, 50 bucks here in my pocket. I want to bet you whatever you've got in your pocket against this 50 bucks that you can't recite one line from that poem. Right? It's so important, and it was a, such an integral part of the inauguration, and it touched a name and moved a name. Oh, my God, it was wonderful. Name, recite one line. Paraphrase one line. Come close. Give me an approximation of one line from this. I understand that it has to be, you know, it's probably tattooed on your inner thigh because it was so orgasmic and wonderful at the time. Recite me anything about it. And they won't be able to do it. Why? Because it's all BS posturing. That's all this is. It's all it will ever be. The next paragraph, the Miami uh, Herald reported that a parent at Bob Graham Education Center in Miami Lakes took issue with Amanda Gorman's The Hill We Climb, explaining their complaint 
In a forum shared by Gorman, who is 25, they said the work is not educational and have indirectly indirectly hate messages. That's what they wrote. A, a, the complainant further added that the widely praised work could, quote, cause confusion and indoctrinate students, end quote. They wrongly identified Oprah Winfrey, blah, 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 blah. It's unclear exactly what offended the parent. The Hillary climb has no cursing. It references Gorman's slave ancestors and it also takes aim at Donald Trump's refusal to concede the 2020 election to Biden. Well, maybe there. Like, well, my uh, head is up my own rear end and people are complaining about the smell. I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, everybody gets high in their own supply. A review committee comprised of staff members in the school ultimately concluded that four of the five titles were better suited to middle school children and now will be placed in the middle school section of the library. Whoa, it's not even a different library. It's a middle school section of the library. I mean, it's Miami. It's probably a pretty big library. But they must share it. Right? And so they have different sections. You don't want the young adult gross things that high school students are going to be exposed to that kids, younger kids wouldn't understand mixed in, you know, with, you don't want the softcore porn that leftists absolutely love and want to indoctrinate children with mixed next to the highlights magazines, for example. So they have different sections in a library. But this is a lot of things. And you can dislike that all you want. But you can't call it a ban. It's not a ban. It is deciding that something is age appropriate. You know, Shakespeare would easily fit, most of Shakespeare would easily fit in the content level for elementary schools, right? It's, it's his sonnets, his poems. It's le- they wouldn't understand a word of it. They wouldn't understand a word of it. It should go in the high school section. Now, if your kid is bright enough to be able to get to that level of reading in, say, junior high, then great. Open up the gates. Get the tape out and go, eh, I now declare this bridge open and just slice open the little barrier between the two sections for that child. But in general, they're not going to get it. They're not going to understand it. And so there is no point in, quote unquote, exposing them to that. Amanda Gorman is not special. Amanda Gorman is not something that needs to be celebrated. She wrote one poem that was picked by Biden's people. You think he had a hand in that? Give me a break. To be read at an inauguration that I promise you, you can't remember. You can't remember a single damn line from it. It is not unique. She is not Robert Frost. She is, and you probably couldn't even, you might have a chance of reciting a Robert Frost thing. But this is how the left operates. This is the perversion of normal, the perversion of reality that the left embraces wholeheartedly. This is why you need to be pushed back against the little digs in there. They thought she was Oprah. Oh, okay. So what? Does that change the nature of the complaint? Do we get to administer IQ tests to idiots? who have grievances, because I'm pretty sure that every member of the BLM Antifa riot mutant squad would not be able to tie a shoe. They're all wearing Velcro shoes out there, or slip-ons. I'm pretty sure you don't want to go down that road if that's going to be your criteria as to whether or not somebody's complaint is valid or not. 
But that's not what they want. They have double standards. They have standards for everybody else and no standards for them. Speaking of no standards, Target. Target is now catching hell from the left, going, oh my goodness. They're removing some pride things from places where there's you know, not a lot of need for pride. That's the kind of thing. That's the one thing about Target where they really screwed up is they thought one size fits all. Where they just go, oh, uh, every Target store, there's going to be a huge pride conga line in there. Like, not, not really. You're not dealing with, what, 2 3% of the population? And most gay people aren't really interested in wrapping themselves in Judy Garland records and rainbows and running around with sexual devices taped to them in the month of June. They just aren't. So who is it that they're targeting? They're targeting the woke white suburban woman who is the base of Target. If you lose them, then Target is screwed. So they're trying to appeal to them. They're just virtue signaling. Look, if you give out 20 square feet of your floor space at a Target to virtue signal to the woke, white, unloved, but still married, staying together for the kids, Chardonnay-swilling, left-wing mother who just can't can't recognize, won't recognize reality. If you give up that, that's going to pay dividends. They might buy something in there. They'll probably, I tell you, they'll buy a queer, 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 queer onesie for the son of the gay couple down the street. The gay couple never put it on the kid. They'll go, I'm not putting this ugly thing on. What the hell is wrong with this? But she'll buy it for him. She'll buy it for him. It's like, oh, they've adopted a, a, a black son. Oh, really? Well, let me see if I can find a Tupac onesie because that's, that's what they like, right? Yeah, listen, Karen, you need to stop buying gifts. You need to lay off the Chardonnay and you really probably, you don't need couples counseling. You need individual counseling. Let's just be honest about life. But Target is removing some of the items like the tuck and binding bathing suits because they say, there have been violent confrontations, threats against staff, etc., 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 except that's not true. The, the, they don't cite any. That's the weird thing about it. They cite zero. They claim it. Now, if you get a whole bunch of death threats via email or every square foot of a target is under surveillance... You should have a whole bunch of evidence. Let's see, I was thinking what the word I'm looking for is. is uh, you should have a whole bunch of evidence ready to go to say, look at what these monsters are doing. The Associated Press, their tweet on this is, Target is removing certain items from its stores and making other changes to its LGBTQ plus merchandise nationwide ahead of Pride Month after intense backlash from some customers, including Violent confrontation with its workers. Violent confront. Now, you would think violent confrontation is somebody got the crap beat out of them, right? Somebody got hit. Well, you read the story. I read the story. See, I didn't just read the tweet. I read the story. Now, there will be a million stories written over the, off the tweet, but the story, it says, quote, Target said customers knocked down pride displays at some stores. Okay. Not, not violence. Not, not against a person not against its workers, angrily approached workers. Okay, angrily approached workers. 
and then you, and then the word and comes next. So you think angrily approached workers and physically assaulted them. No, no, no. Angrily approached workers and posted threatening videos on social media from inside the stores. That is the extent of the... None of it is in quotes. It's just Target said this. Where's the violence? I don't want to see violence, but where is the violence? Where's the violent confrontations? Where are the violent confrontations? There aren't any. If there were, somebody would have been arrested. And I promise you, if somebody were arrested over outrage at the little kid's genital binding bathing suits for sale at Target, that would have caused, I mean, hell, they would have broken into daytime programming for that. It would have been everywhere. It did not happen, at least not yet. I don't want it to happen, but it seems like the left desperately wants it to happen because they're calling everybody who has a problem with this some kind of Nazi, some kind of monster, some kind of this, some kind of that. Oh, my God, you're just terrible, horrible people. You might as well have killed somebody. Ben Collins, the jackass reporter over at MS or at NBC News, who had to be removed from the Elon Musk beat because he was you know, obsessive and uh, emotional about Elon Musk, tweeted out, anyone falling for the extreme far right's target backlash and framing it as both, si- uh, both sides debate are not doing their journalistic duty. They're repeating a harassment campaign that was telegraphed pub- in public months ago. That's not your job as reporters. Oh, See, Ben, who, after the shooting out in Colorado at the gay nightclub, said, oh, this, this was because of Fox News, and they're just trying to hurt gay people. And, blah, blah. and then it turns out that it was somebody with they, them pronouns, a member of the alphabet mafia community, and he never once apologized for it. Never once. I think he actually won awards for his whiny little monologue there. He's out there lecturing other journalists about what constitutes journalism. These people are demented. These people are dangerous. These people, dare I say it, I'm just going to say they're evil. They truly are evil. I don't want you to go out and violently confront anybody. I stated yesterday what I think should be done, and I'll restate it again really quickly here. Go to Target. Go to Target with a couple of friends or family members. Take a shopping cart into the section, the pride section. Fill up the shop. Don't fill it. Don't swipe. Take ten of everything. Don't do. Make it look like you're shopping while you're in there. You're just picking some things up. You don't have to take that many. And then Johnny Appleseed those suckers throughout the store. Don't steal them. Don't destroy them. Don't damage them in any way, shape, or form. Just take them and put them behind the cans of beans, behind uh, the socks, behind the toys, whatever it is. Put them out in the store where they will not be found. Then the section will eventually empty. Some of the stuff will be found. Some of it won't be till much later. And lather, rinse, repeat. Make it difficult for them to sell these sorts of things. You empty it out, and there's not a lot to display. Now, Target will have two choices. They go, well, somebody's stealing all this stuff, and they'll order more, or they'll try to find out what's going on. If they order more... So be it. It's costing Target more. There's no revenue coming into Target, but they still hold the merchandise. Eventually, it'll all be shipped back to the wholesaler and everybody will get refunds and uh, whatever. But you're not stealing. 
It's not against the law. It's just a little bit of civil disobedience because Target is giving you the finger. You might as well give it right back to them. Why not? All right. That's enough for today, I think. Don't you? It's an hour. I think that's an hour. Anyway, the next 24 hours will give us more than enough stupid to fill up the show tomorrow with ease. And then, of course, there'll be the Week in F and Review at patreon.com slash Podcast or derekhunter.locals.com. Um, yeah. Oh, by the way, an update before we go. The, uh, the card from my late father to Quinn for her birthday. My, did I text it with my sister? She is giving out the uh, cards. I opened it up. It's nothing. The only thing different was there was a, a $20 bill inside. My dad never did that. He uh, he wrote checks. He wrote checks all the time. So he'd always he'd send me a ten dollar check for my birthday, and then he'd go, "Did you cash that check?" I said, "No, I didn't. I told you I'm not going to cash a check from you. You you take the money." Uh, he'd balance his checkbook. He loved balancing his checkbook. And I thought it was weird that he because you know his checks. If there was a check inside, it wouldn't be wouldn't be good anymore. The accounts are all closed. And so the 20 being in there was a little weird. And I thought, did he, like, it was, it was a weird thing. Like, I'm sitting there going, did he know? Did he? No, he didn't know. My sister talked to my brother, who's executor of the estate, and got 20 bucks for all the grandkids' birthday cards that were already set up. And so that's why it was in there. I'm like, it was a little weird. It's a little weird. Would have been, I don't know. I don't know if it would have been cool or not if it was something he did. But he didn't do it, so it doesn't matter. But it's still cool that he did this, and I've got a birthday card coming from my father next month. Won't be any money in mine because the uh, kids don't get any, but the uh, the grandkids will, which is cool. And that's cool because Bailey will get one, too, coming up in a few months. Anyway, enough about me. Go about your day. It's Thursday, for crying out loud. If you don't have plans for the weekend, you've got another day to figure it out. Have a great one. I'll see you tomorrow.